0: Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. So if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me, by Harvest House Publishers. Each week we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's essay is, Infinity at its Best, by Jim Thomas. Jim Thomas is the author of many books, Coffeehouse theology, brief tracks, making the play, and streetwise spirituality. Let's begin. Infinity at its best. The central image of the Christian faith is the cross. A cross is the joining of a vertical beam and a horizontal beam, and it signifies the God of heaven intersecting humanity on earth in the person and actions of Jesus Christ. There is a sense in which the cross represents the Christian idea of infinity because the cross can extend its forearms out forever. This, however, is infinity at its best, and it gives us a reason Look forward to every new minute we are given to live. That ends the essay, Infinity at its Best, as written and submitted by Jim Thomas and included in the book, What the Cross Means to Me. There is a poem accompanying the essay by J.C. Riley, which says, As long as the world stands, the cross will seem foolishness to natural man. The photo on the other side of this essay is the dream, which is a dreamy image of the cross with the base covered by a large mound of dirt covering about half of the cross. It was shot on a very early morning as the fog was starting to evaporate, which gives it that dreamy glow. And the mound around the cross was there because it had just been moved to that new location. Moved from where I shot it for many years, and it only stayed at this temporary location for about a month before its final resting site on the north end of their football field. You see, the cross that I had found was put there by a school organization that wanted to build a new campus at that site. The land on and around the ridge was sold to the school in a sweetheart deal. This really angered many land developers who had eyes on this 100 plus acre hillside location. Plans that involved a lot of potential tax revenues for the city, not to mention lots of potential backroom graft. And since the school needed the city's approval for most stages of the school's build out, many impasses cropped up, especially the first step to break ground. And The city seemed intent on derailing the entire project or stalling it as long as possible. So many involved with the school began to pray, and one gentleman cut, created, and painted the cross you see in my images. Then they dug a hole, placed a Bible in it, and then erected the cross atop the Bible and dedicated the site for God's plan for the school on that hill. After meeting with the school officials, we determined I had stumbled across the cross about a month after they put it up. Now, this fact... Illuminates how diverse my collection is. Yes, I could shoot it from different times of day, different times of year, different lens choices, etc. But the second year of shooting was after they broke ground. So there would be many times when I would arrive and the landscape around the cross had been changed. And I find it appropriate that no matter what changes and challenges we face in our life, in society, in human history, or the telling or reshaping of it, the story, the purpose, and the impact of the cross stays the same. Meaning while everything around your cross in your life is in flux, constantly changing, the cross never moves. and will not be moved even while the tectonic plates of life keep shifting. The bedrock of Calvary is sure, steadfast, and sanctified. While events in your life begin to shake your footing, your foundation, and even your faith, return to the cross. Take time to read the gospel accounts of the crucifixion and the verses in the epistles that highlight the impact of our right relationship with God. And then watch how your faith strengthens and it bolsters your resolve to go through whatever you're facing with peace, joy, and love. The theme of this week's essay is infinity. and At first glance, it may be too lofty of a concept for most of us to comprehend, but it says in Ephesians 1, 10 through 11, that God has given us the wisdom to fully understand the mystery, the plan he was pleased to decree in Christ, a plan to be carried out in Christ in the fullness of time, to bring all things into one on him in the heavens and on the earth. God also decided ahead of time to choose us through Christ according to his plan. Amen. To understand concepts like infinity, we should keep in mind from the perspective of the apathetic method I've mentioned in previous episodes, that words like infinity mean different things to different people. But sometimes a harmonized definition is aided by triangulating disparate sources. In this case, we will look to the Bible, the early church fathers, and science. Working backwards, let's see what we can learn. The current school of thought among modern physicists regarding eternity discusses the history present state, and probable future of the universe, according to cosmologists' current understanding. It divides the timeline of the universe into five eras, and then what kinds of life might exist in the future eras of the universe. The speculation is based on a scaling hypothesis credited to Freeman Dyson, the idea being that all other things being equal, the rate of metabolism and therefore rate of consciousness of an organism should be in direct proportion to the temperature at which the organism thrives. The authors envision life forms completely different from the biochemical ones of Earth, for example, based on network black holes. However, the perspective of any organism, if it could have faculty to consider, is constrained from the time perceived on that planet, around a mass like a star or a black hole. But that current hypothesis of environment over time, it begs the question, what about time? Organisms on earth or any particular point in the universe are constrained by the time perceived at that particular point. The current prevailing theory states that scales are sufficiently vast but that they refer to the nth cosmological decade, meaning 10 to the nth years after the big bang in what follows and refers to as the cosmological decade. But I'm still not satisfied. This current theory is a construct of the Big Bang going forward. We are, on this planet, stuck in that expanding theory sense of time, let alone our planet revolving around the sun every year and our planet spinning every day. As humans, we are unique amongst the rest of creation on Earth that we can even consider what I just said. The Bible, an observation, the ability to observe, which might be seen as a self-fulfilling prophecy to the point I'm about to make, states that we are soul, spirit, and body. The Bible teaches us that the most unique part, the spirit, is the portion of us that is immortal. And yet our perception of time, as I mentioned, is constrained to this planet, this solar system, and whatever our solar system is orbiting around. If we could break free from it, our perception of and ability to live through time is radically altered. And the prevailing scaling hypothesis, as I mentioned, is constrained to the Big Bang. But what if time is not tied to the expanding universe? What if God is free of this construct and actually existed before his creation of this universe? What does that possibility do to our possible perception of time? I say possible because I have no idea. But my omnipresent and omni powerful perception of God leads me to believe that all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with God. But you need to ponder an application of what I just said. As an example, the Bible says that God made the planet, okay, the universe, in six days, But that is only from our perspective of our understanding of one rotation of the earth. But then it says that one day is like 1,000 years to God. Everything is relative. But again, that is from our limited perception of our planet spinning 1,000 times around our star. My contention is that God is outside of our solar system, therefore not constrained by our concept of years. When I drive my car, I see the engine is spinning at thousands of revolutions An average trip to the storm back could involve trillions of thousands of revolutions before my return. So what is meant by the phrase, everything is relative? So let's bring it back to the devotional mission of this program. According to Robert John Russell, founder and director of Center for Theology and the Natural Sciences, says the topic of time and eternity is central to the relation between God and the world in two ways. First, it involves the notion of the divine eternity as the supertemporal source of creaturely time. Second, it involves the eternity of the eschatological new creation, beginning with the bodily resurrection of Jesus, in relation to creaturely time. Now we are reminded of what the main theme of episode 11 was, the More Than a Story episode, which is that Jesus as a part of the triunity, was with God at and before the creation of the universe. From this fresh perspective, it is more than possible that Jesus has been part of existence before the creation of our universe, before the creation of existence, and our ability to adequately comprehend it. The fact that we can ponder these concepts at all make us unique on this earth. And yes, human consciousness has been proven. And in our scientific contemplations, we have theorized that we exist in multiple planes at the same time. That in the physiological level alone, there are 16 dimensions. Some say 12. However, how many do we exist in? Four, counting time. What are the other eight? I don't know. However, they seem pretty significant. This means our body is in different dimensions at the same time. Have you ever wondered how angels, who the Bible says are corporal beings, can see and interact with us? even though we can't see them. Now, if you go to a search engine like Start Page or DuckDuckGo and pull up a graphic illustration of the full spectrum of light, typically expressed in a semicircle format, you'll see huge portions of the spectrum for, say, gamma waves or alpha waves. And then somewhere in the middle, you see these tiny little slivers, very tiny slivers of spectrum referred to as the frequency our bodies use for visual light. And right next to it is the frequency for our auditory senses, hearing, sound waves. Some creatures, like dogs, can hear outside, you know, a little above or a little below that frequency range. And some, like insects, can actually see a bit beyond the range of light that we use for sight. Meaning some insects can see, for example, an infrared frequency. But again, I'm talking about the body. What does this mean for the soul and the spirit? Within these, most scholars refer to the spirit as that aspect of us that makes us rational creatures. What is the difference between the two? Hmm. I know Sigmund Freud tried, contemplating id, super id, and ego. But I don't know. I just know that there is a nuanced difference. In the book of Hebrews, the author states, The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Able to divide even soul and spirit. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Well, transitioning to the early fathers for insight, saints like Bonaventure talk about a spiritual mind separate from chemically and electrically charged brain thought. And his contention is that it is the spiritual mind that allows for the function of intuition. Spiritual intuition. Something separate from but that can be built on the senses, separate from, but that can build on emotions, separate from, but that can build on ideas. But it is beyond concepts, it is beyond imagination, it is beyond thoughts. It's beyond fractally created forms. It is where contemplation, pure contemplation happens. It occurs in the human spirit. You have heard stories about a person getting hurt or dies, And the mother, maybe hundreds of miles away, senses a knowing at that exact time that something has happened. Yes, I am saying that the part of us that participates in quantum entanglement is our spirit. Moreover, early church fathers believe that our spirit has the capacity for infinity, for eternity. (laughs) Wow! It means a person's spirit can break through the constraints of space and time allowing one to enter into eternity and infinity while being in the here and now. Wow. That is why the Bible tells us that we are already seated with Christ Jesus at the right hand of God. Because we are already there. Is your body there? No, not. And as we transcend the effect of corporal conditioned responses, the spirit can break free of our environmental and experiential emotions and thoughts be free of time and eternity right now. Have you ever had or have you ever experienced a contemplative union with God, at least glimpses of it? When you contemplate it, you can go there. This is not a matter of theology, doctrine, eschatology, or even science. It is a contemplative union with God and each other and with all of us. Some, most, tap into this in prayer, some in song, or other forms of artful meditation. Mother Teresa talks about how consistently she taps into this and into an ethereal, yet physical, one-on-one discussion with Jesus during her daily three-hour prayer sessions. Others, like me, simply get glimpses from time to time. The most profound was when my wife passed away. I was holding her hand as she flatlined, and at that moment, I tangibly and physically felt God cup his hand in between hers and mine and slowly remove her hand from mine. In that split second, I saw, I sensed, I felt beyond space and time. I understood things differently. I saw beyond this planet, our human race, my particular denomination, my personal view of God, and beyond what I felt grief should feel like. We had well over 50 people outside the room in the nearby waiting area, And as the news spread, so did shrieks of shock and deep pain spread. Like the flow of water, I could hear cries flow from the left where the door was all around behind me to the right wall where the waiting room was. It was to the point of hysteria. But my glimpse, what happened when he took her hand from mine, gave me an indescribable peace. In that split second, I saw across time and I saw myself already there with her in heaven. That is why I say the cross of Christ is a bridge from death to life. When she accepted Christ into her heart as a young kid, she was raised Christian. But when she did that, she was already there with him as well. When she accepted Jesus, she was already with Jesus as well. So my wife did not die, but she crossed over into another plane of existence. With that knowledge, I walked out an alternate door, straight out a back door, outside and sat on a bench and simply stared at the starry night sky all by myself. I meditated there for about a half an hour before somebody found me. Peace provided of that moment, that time, provided me a resolve through all the planning for and going through all the funeral activities and allowed me to focus on the needs and pains of others. Eventually, I went back to life, a new life as a widower, back to a day job routine. However, now that I tasted that feeling of God's touch and the glimpse of eternity, I longed to experience it again. That is why, if you have listened to my episode number one, I began chasing sunsets, as I found a spot, and could spend time contemplating God and that dimension while watching the changing colors of a sunset. And somehow, some way, I could tap into again. It was not too long, of this after-work habit. Every night, I took my camera off the shelf and I began capturing the scenes that I would find there. So soon the two merged and I often discovered that taste of affinity again. Eventually, I found that lonely cross on that one hill and the three merged, meaning I have the sunset and the cross to contemplatively focus on as the vehicle to tap into that plan. Focused on the words Jesus spoke from the cross, I thirst. So it was that I continued chasing sunsets at the cross as a way to break into eternity. And there are several of my images that I captured them during these moments of connection to God in eternity. Now, I'm stuttering a little bit because I really can't describe it very well. In my head I can, but as I try to explain it to people one-on-one or over the format of a radio program, it's it's hard to explain. I don't expect anyone to understand it. I am simply sharing my experience, my testimony with you. Sometimes it still happens at a sunset, because all these years later I'm still shooting sunsets almost every day off my iPhone 12. Um, so it, it still happens at sunset or during particular contemplative songs that I meditatively listen to over and over again, or some few icons that I really meditate upon. But again, that's just me. Does this mean that you can tap into eternity as well? I don't know. But from my personal experience and from the reading of the saints and the early church fathers, I believe it to be possible. And even if you don't or can't, I encourage you to always have an eternal perspective on your eternal existence. It helps keep you beyond the heat of the moment, the cares of the day, bank account balances, issues in the family, or even current events in our society. point is, your spirit has this potential to transcend transform, transfigure, transcend all of that. A problem in our assessment of time, the time of day, is based on and out of our body. We are hot or cold, we are hungry or full, I am happy on a Sunday drive or I'm upset because someone just cut me off. Based on the time of month and the bank account balance, we are stressed or we are at peace. Most all the cares of the world that prevent us from being aware of the kingdom of God dimension which is an outgrowth from the perspective of our body. That's why we need to transcend from the body to the spirit. And this, the reason I spent so much time in last week's episode, episode 13, talking about the power of immersing ourselves in sacred art. Why? Because art can take our spirit to the higher divinity that we should seek. Why? Because art is sacramental, small s. It can speak beyond logic, beyond ideas. It could use one or both meaning it can build on ideas or logic, but it can transcend them. It can take you out of yourself. To this day, I can't watch the cross video that you'll find in my site without crying. It takes me back to that time upon the cross, to those moments I just described to you where I tapped into eternity. Watching that video takes me back in time, which at that time I was connecting with infinity. Again, I can't explain it. But what about the rest of the time? is it easy or hard to keep the spirit engaged on a daily basis? Sure, I find it hard. I think it is a part of the human condition. It is all too easy to fall into the unholy trinity of senses, emotions, and thoughts. Many times we think that's all there are. We are consumed by the stress of producing at work, dealing with family members, or even making dinner on time. We are easily pulled into the issues of our mind, our body. Then someone comes along It says they are from a different denomination or a different political party or what have you and that they don't agree with you on something. And we get sometimes too attached to our mind-based ideas. In the West, they say, I think, therefore I am. And in the East, they say, I am, therefore I think. So what happens? Do our emotions betray us? How do or how should you respond with the mind? Or should we strive to respond from the eternal perspective that our spirit can provide? We need to break through to the spirit. That's why immersing yourself in the Bible, reading it daily, or sacred art, helps keep us walking in the spirit. That is why the Bible says we should die to ourselves daily, to take that mind-based part of who we are to the cross daily, to put that Adamic nature through prayer, intention, and awareness to death daily. I used to, and by nature, am a night owl, but I forced myself many, many years ago to be an early bird just to accomplish this. I changed my nature, meaning spending time in prayer and meditation before my day begins, to imagine myself at the cross, talking to Jesus, giving him my old self, my thoughts, my cares, my emotions, and striving to walk in the Spirit, letting go of myself at the beginning of that day every day. And when you let the attachment to the old self die, it allows the spirit to come forth, allowing the spiritual side of us to become the primary, allowing you to walk in the spirit and affecting your reaction to life and the people we meet that day. So if you are in the spirit, you can see past the heat of the moment, making it easier to see past the topic of any discussion, to glimpse into the eternal perspective that Jesus loves that person who is talking to us, and God wills for them to dwell in heaven as well. That is when a real dialogue can begin. When I can seek to understand the reasons behind what they are saying, to strive to understand what is bothering them about that issue or subject or topic, and explore what it is they really want from me and for them, realizing that there is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human, and we can creatively shape the conversation to that eternal base direction to fill that hole up with God. Well, I stress this because we are—we should no longer be attached to our ideas or our opinions or our agendas. The Spirit engenders love for, for everyone that we encounter. The fruit of the Spirit that we see in 1 Corinthians 13. So I suggest that you strive every day to find your ways to walk in the Spirit. And throughout the majority of every day. It is a path to holiness. And since God cannot dwell with unholiness, we need to stay in the Spirit to nurture that right relationship with God, and to assist our fellow humans to enjoy that same sweet, peaceful, and eternal relationship. If you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? If you have not been making a daily conscious and meditative intention to die to yourself, striving to walk in the Spirit that day, if that seems hard, then make a commitment to at least make that, co- make that dying to yourself once a week at church. Start there and increase it every day. To stay in the awareness of and walk in your spiritual side as much as possible. Then ask God to bless, nourish, and increase that effort. Go and live in this perspective, keeping your mind stayed on Christ today. If you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, meaning you're not a Christian yet, then I suggest you contemplate what he did for you asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to heal that painful part of your mind and spirit. Ask Jesus to come into your heart today. And with that, may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program, heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this week's essay, The Dream, along with my other versperations, then check out Magi Cross on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise for the Magi Cross products, hear other Cross podcasts, or read further meditative musings on the Cross through my blog, then listen and log on to magicross.com. That is is dot